we're going to study tonight, Fearless in Faith. You can tell by the worship songs we were going in that direction, right? Amen? All right, so that's what we're going to do. Um, I have, just in my own little journey, the past, uh, I would say, month with my dad. My dad's really ill. I'll tell you more later about that. But um, just going through his journey, um, we just checked him into hospice a couple days ago. So yeah, so things are getting serious. And, and so just been traveling with him in this journey towards the end of his days. And um, so I went to Psalm 23 to try to find something from the Lord. I go, Lord, just show me in your word you know, what this journey is like, and, um, and, and just so I can relate to him and be there for him. And what God has shown me in this psalm is remarkable. It's, it's an amazing psalm, Psalm 23. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to read it together. So if you want to stand, we're going to read this together, because this is an amazing psalm, and it has gotten through it's gotten people through some really, really tough times. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay. And I'll tell, share more about that. All right. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, you can sit. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing psalm. And Lord, I I pray tonight that through this psalm, we would recognize you, Jesus, um, in just a greater way, that we would come to know you and love you even more. And Lord, I, I pray for some tonight, this psalm will minister to their hearts as it has for over 3,000 years. And I pray, God, that by your spirit, You would move in the hearts of your people. You would anoint the hearing of your word and the teaching of your word. And Lord, you are the teacher. You are the preacher. You are the great shepherd. And we are going to follow you as we dive into your word tonight. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This psalm is deep. It's... Easy enough for a child to understand, yet deep enough for a theologian to drown in. It's that deep. Going through this psalm, I found that, hey, I could probably teach this in one night, six verses, but I found out that we're not going to. We're going to just do three verses tonight. It was so deep. I just couldn't get past some of these verses. So we're going to go through the next three verses next week. And so it's a two-part series, and I'll tell you more about that. We know who's the writer of this psalm? 
King David, right? King David, the beautiful psalmist of Israel. They call him the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he was a shepherd himself. And he was raised by a shepherd. His dad was a shepherd. And I'm sure they had generations of, of being in this industry. They also called him the shepherd king of Israel because he led Israel um, for many, many years. But he led them as a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart. And you'll see why as we get into the psalm, you'll see the heart of David, his, this beautiful heart that he has. Two schools of thought that he wrote Psalm 23 during his shepherding years. That was one school. The second was towards the end of his life, reflecting back. And so on the Lord's faithful hand upon his shepherd, I think that he wrote it much later in his life when he had had a life rich with wisdom. So I think the second school of thought is, is where we land for David. That's my opinion. I'm not exactly sure, but I feel like he wrote this in the later part of his life, just reflecting on all the times that God had rescued him and that had brought him through some, some of these trials. I'm going to share with you um, this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I, I love this. I saw this. Um, here's what Charles Spurgeon says about Psalm 23. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands of the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It ha- This is a cool one. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. I like this one too. And like Peter's angel led him forth in imagination and sung him back into his house or his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning. Not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go to Charles Spurgeon. That is a beautiful quote. And I love that quote from Charles Spurgeon. He, um, he was a man that just had deep thoughts. And as he penned that, I was, I was taken back by, and I think that sums up Psalm 23 quite a bit. Uh, another guy by the name of James um, Montgomery Boy said this, millions of people have memorized this psalm, even those who have learned few other scripture portions. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe personal trials, suffering illness or dying. For some, the words of this psalm have been the last that they've ever uttered in life. That's amazing. And as I mentioned earlier, it's been ministering to people for over 3,000 years. Abraham Lincoln meditated and recited Psalm 23 during the Civil War in the midst of his depression. 
George W. Bush read it during um, a wounded nation during 9-11. He read Psalm 23. Psalm 23 does have some kind of misunderstandings. And I think even with me, as, as I was retreating it to during my dad's just kind of end of days, I, I used it as a retreat. And as I dug more and more into it, it had, you know, I think we misuse Psalm 23 sometimes or we misapply it, uh, I would say. And sometimes because this psalm um, is more about life than death. And I think that we have Psalm 23 as one of those psalms that we can go to at a funeral or we can recite at they're on sympathy cards, they're on tombstones, and they're on all kinds of different things. But because of verse 4, the shadow of death, we use the psalm to describe death. But here's the thing. It, never, it only talks about the shadow of death. It doesn't talk about death itself. It talks about the shadow of death. And so it, it is misused in, that, in the fact that, that it's really for the living this psalm. It is really for here and now and how we um, walk through life. I even heard one uh, pastor say it's like uh, cliff notes of the Christian life. And you know, I mean, you can have an argument for that. And I thought that was interesting. Um, but that was, that is a, a common misunderstanding. Uh, another thing is that, number two, the psalm is more about the shepherd than the sheep. It's more about the shepherd than the sheep. It's partly about the sheep or us, but more about Jesus. It's more about David's relationship with Jesus. You see him in the psalm bragging about his shepherd. You see him bragging about the characteristics of God. He said, David points out, God's character in this. He says he's the divine, protective, and benevolent provider. You see that in this psalm. About the fearless and faithful shepherd. Number one, that Jesus, this is going to be our takeaway tonight, and I want you guys to look at this, that Jesus is our faithful, fearless, and loving shepherd. And number two, because Jesus is the good shepherd, we can lead and follow him with the same faithfulness, fearlessness, and love that he has bestowed upon us. I think that's the takeaway. I think that as we recognize this great shepherd, that what we'll do is we are going to ourselves become and emulate that shepherd, especially as we lead others, especially parents and family members. Um, I have three kids and I love them dearly. And, but, I, but for me to be a good leader in my home and in my family, um, I need to be a good follower of Jesus. I need to be a good steward of what God has given me in my family. Here, here at Godspeed Calvary Chapel, I need to be a, a good follower of Jesus if I want to be a good pastor. And I think if you're in the workplace and you have some position of authority... You need to be a good follower of Jesus to be a good influence and a good shepherd to those people that you work with. So um, I want that to kind of, kind of be where, where we're going to land. 
One thing that I want us to look at, number one, Jesus is our fearless and faithful shepherd, and he is personal and present. And in that first verse where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, the word Lord in in the uh, Hebrew is Jehovah. It says, Jehovah is my shepherd. And he declares in the opening of this palm. So Jehovah means existing one. And what we see in this poem as the existing one, it connects to Revelation 1.8. And it says this about Jesus. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So I love that, that this is a bridge to who Jesus is. And, and we're going to see that quite a bit. Um, you're going to see the character of Jesus. Um, I love how um, Pastor Dave Guzik put this together. I, I, I stole this from him. Check this out. Uh, Isaiah 40, 11 tells us that the Lord will feed his flock like a shepherd will gather the lambs with his arm. Isn't that beautiful? Micah 7, 14 invites the Lord to shepherd your people with your staff as in days of old. Zechariah 13, 7 speaks of the Messiah as the shepherd who will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. Also quoted in Matthew 26, 31. John 10, 11 and John 14, Je- Jesus clearly spoke of himself as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep and who can say, I know my sheep and am known by my own. Also in John 10, the shepherd of the abundant life. Jesus says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. And, and I love that about the Lord. Hebrews 13, 20 said, speaks of Jesus. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. First Peter two twenty five calls Jesus the shepherd and overseer of your soul. First Peter 5, 4 calls Jesus the chief shepherd. And that is even uh, referring to um, even leadership in church. So all these things, the, I want to read for you um, out of this wonderful book. You guys get this book by W. Philip Keller. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And what I, um, and you know, it's funny. Um, I was talking to Craig earlier today and Craig actually went to the same school as this man. Um, amazing, amazing author. He was himself a shepherd. And so he's looking at Psalm 23 through the lens of a shepherd. And he, all, he was also a lay pastor for his, uh, for his church. But let me read this to you. Um, this is amazing. So the title shepherd is a divine term. It is, ref, it is reflected in the Trinity. And he's going to point this out where you see God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit says, if we pause to reflect on the person of Christ, on his power and his achievements, suddenly, like David, we will be glad to state proudly, the Lord, he is my shepherd. But but before we do this, it helps to hold clearly in mind the particular part played upon our history by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is God the author the originator of all that exists. 
It was in his mind first that all took shape. God the Son, our Savior, is God the artisan. The artist, the creator of all that exists. He brought into being all that had been originally formulated in his father's mind. Can you see that in Genesis, the creation? Pastor John is going through uh, Genesis on Sunday nights. And when he took us through those first seven passages, you see this creative, beautiful mind of God the Father. And then it says in Colossians that all things were made through him, being Jesus, and for him. And so you see the two working together. And then it says about God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is God the agent who presents these facts to both my mind and my spiritual understanding so that they become both real and relative to me as an individual. Isn't that beautiful? That's a great, I love that. Um, I saw that, I, I, I said, wow, that is a neat way to look at the Trinity and to explain the Trinity. But in relation to shepherding, um, that we are shepherded by the Trinity, that all three play a big part um, in this. And so um, I, want to, I want to look at um, this other part where the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's speaking of Jesus. This is a messianic verse. We have been brought with the fearless and faithful shepherd's blood. We have been bought, sorry, with the fearless and faithful shepherd's blood at the cross of Calvary. He owns our souls and our lives. We can say the Lord is our shepherd. Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I I love this because there was a time Um, just a dark time in my life um, when I was younger. Um, From age 16 to age 26, I had probably a 10-year backslide. And it was probably the the darkest time in my life looking back because I didn't even know it was dark. I thought I had everything. I thought the world was at my beck and call, and it was... I, you know, I had, I had a good job, I was married, I had a newborn baby, and I just, I felt like there was um, some good things happening. But when I look back, it was dark. It was a time that I did not have a shepherd. I did not have Jesus. Um, at 16, I raised my hand to say, hey, Lord, I don't want to go to hell, so save me, right? I called upon the name of the Lord, and, I, and it says in the Bible that I will be saved. I did that, but what I found that Jesus was my Savior, but he wasn't my Lord. He wasn't Lord of my life. And I think um, a lot of us live that way, where we come to the Lord initially, but somehow we just kind of fall off. We drift away. And we kind of like Isaiah 53 says, we, we kind of go astray. You know, we, we kind of wander off. And, um, you know, I did that. 
I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up, my dad was a Catholic, born-again Catholic. My mom was a Protestant, and I had all the makings of, but what, what happened, I just, I wasn't discipled. I, there was no discipleship that took place in my life where I could be discipled. And I struggled for um, many, many years. And, but God was faithful. God is faithful. When I was 27, I rededicated my life to the Lord. He, he kind of, he took me out of that miry clay. He says, Brett, I'm going to put your feet upon the rock. And, and I'm going to love you and shepherd you. And he did. And here's the funny thing. Through all of this, I had never, I had no aspirations of being a pastor. That was never in my goals or mind ever. But God thought it would be funny to make me a pastor. <laughs> right? And he thought in his humor that he would do that. And, um, and I was so broken. I was so... You know, I said, Lord, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever you want. I'll serve. I'll do it. And he just did. He grabbed me. And I remember, um, I think it was like 2003. Um, Yeah, I was at a retreat with um, Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks. We were at Skyline Building. We had teamed up with um, Lance Ralston and his team, and they were... Uh, from Oxnard, and we did this men's retreat. And I remember just God, very, just taking my Bible, and, and I felt the stirring. And, and I was serving uh, with Rob as an elder at the time, and I just felt this stirring in my heart, and I was reading my Bible. And, um, and I don't even remember what I was reading, but I can clearly hear God calling me into the ministry. And I was blown away by it. And I thought, the first thing I thought, you mean I got to, am I going to quit my job? You know, what? I was going through all this. And I just, and I think up, and it was up on this little hill, and I was worried about rattlesnakes going on the way up. Oh, by the way, David has this great, he went on a hike today. There's David. He has this great picture of a rattlesnake uh, on his phone. And he went up. Where'd you go? Just right up the hill in the back there. Take the road to the right. Yeah. I hate snakes. Snakes freak me out. David showed that to me. I'd be like, jump back. Anyways, I went up there just to be alone with the Lord. And it just, it was a profound moment. I just got on my knees and said, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. And um, I think I got a phone call six months later from Calvary Santa Barbara saying, hey, we need, we need, we need a pastor. <laughs> and uh, they called me into the ministry um, Rob was bummed, but he understood, and he loved me through it, and walked me through it, and and I ended up coming back in 2010 here. So it's funny how God just takes you on this journey. But yeah, um, if you're backsliding tonight, if you're in that area, get out quick. Go go see go see Jesus right away. Pray yourself out of that. It is the worst feeling in the world. Number two, Jesus is our faithful and caring shepherd and our great provider. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. David's contentment 
it wasn't in the physical, as you know, because David, he battled. He was a man of war. He was, he was one that um, sinned greatly, right? We, we hear about David. His, he, he was constantly in fear, running from Saul. I mean, so his contentment was not physical, but spiritual. He had a spiritual contentment, and he was fully satisfied, and he felt provided by the Lord through all his trials and and tribulations. Philippians 4.12 says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who's him. Jesus, who gives me strength, right? That is a wonderful promise. Because when you're somebody that's discontented, right? It's hard to be in that scripture right there. It's hard to learn the secret of being content. If you're discontented. If you're discontented, it means that you have wandered from Jesus. You have wandered from your faith. And it means that all kinds of things can happen. In 2008, there was a, I think it was 2008, there was a tsunami who hit, that hit Indonesia. Do you guys remember that? It, it devastated them. The reason it devastated them, and they, didn't, they don't have buildings like we do. They, they have huts and shacks. And, and so I, we, we took a team there to go help feed them and bless them and pray for them and, and uh, to evangelize some of them because it was a, a heavily Muslim area. And um, something that I, I really, that stuck out to me was, um, well, first of all, they had so much fear. They were living in the hills. I mean, it was radical. They were living in the mountains uh, in these trees. And I just remember um, seeing the kids um, so that what they do, they go up in the hills, live up in the hills uh, at night, and then they would come back down to their village that had just been destroyed during the day, and they would try to fix whatever homes. But just watching the kids there, it was amazing. They had no toys. They had nothing. I saw one kid, he had a stick and a tire, and that was his toy, and he was totally happy and content. He didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have Nintendo. He had a stick in a, in a tire. And I realized, I'm like, man, these kids have more than we do. They have contentment. They have, they're, in, they're not in want, even though their village got decimated. And so that was, that was an interesting time. And, and I think um, not being in want speaks, speaks of the surrendered life. I think when you're surrendered to God, you are not in want. A Christian who is satisfi- satisfied is not seeking worldly pleasures or possessions. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6. He said, he said Gentile, the Gentile world seeks after these things. These are the things. And, and Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount was trying to preach to his followers, his disciples, his believers and saying, I want to show you a contrast. Here's how the unbelieving Gentile world 
works and operates. And here's how you should operate. You should have no care or worry for anything because I am your provider. You know, I love it. And in those, that deep, dark time I was going, that backslidden time, when I came out of it, the verse that got me out of it was Matthew 6.33. It's my life verse today. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And it was an easy decision for me because I didn't have to go down the path of the world. I can just go, well, I'm just going to seek your kingdom, Lord. And you say you'll take care of me. And I just did that because I just, something in me just said, I trust Jesus. I trust the Lord. And, And it has served me well for many years. 1 Timothy 6 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I believe that. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it, right? We we didn't, we came in naked as babies, and what? We're gonna leave naked or erase that picture from your head. Yeah. But we're not gonna take anything with there's no u-haul behind the hearse right no so we're we're not i told my dad that i go dad don't worry about your cell phone and the charger you know we're he's fussing about stuff right now don't worry about that dad he's worried about his sodium intake i go dad eat whatever you want right you're in your last days order i'll order you a pizza you know so i was working with him dad work with me come on let's enjoy the last days um, so it was, you know, Craig's father uh, and Lauren's father just passed away, uh, Hank. And what did he have? He had ice cream and cherries, right? Donuts and milk. Oh, donuts and milk. And then, yeah. And then ice cream and cherries on top of that. Yeah. Amen. That's the, think about that. <laughs> okay. So the best example for this is our pets. Right? So check this out. Whose master would you want to be? This, this poor dog was found in a dump. Uh, there's a neat story behind that. They found him. They rescued him. But look at Tinkerbell over there. Paris Hilton's Tinkerbell. Um, yeah, you would want to be her master, right? I mean, that would be, that dog is content. That dog is happy. He is in not, he has, I, could you imagine walking to Paris Hilton's house and seeing what that dog had? There is no want, right? (laughs) All right. This is Tashi. This is our dog. My wife takes such good care of Tashi. She is, Tashi has no want. Even when Sammy puts on a scary wolf monster, Tashi still knows that's my shepherd. He's, she's not even freaked out. She's happy, she's content, she's in the arms of her master. Yeah, we love Tashi. Tashi has given us some good laughs. But contentment is, is really, I think, a good way to live our lives. It really, it's like a big, deep, like, I'm content. You know, you, you, you can't just be content. You really have to um, be shepherded into that. You have to come to Jesus and, and allow Jesus to guide you in that. It's not something that 
it just happens, right? It's not a mindset. It's a state of being. And it's a state of being that the Christian should have. Um, I, it, interesting, I got a call from my dad this morning. And I told you he was, he was in hospice. And yeah, the first thing he asked me was like, hey, do you have my phone charger? You know, so that was one thing. And then, and then he went into this kind of beautiful, um, kind of a thank you um, kind of lecture to me, just saying, you know, thanking, he just, he was, he's saying, Brett, I, I just moved him, check this out. So I just, I'll give you the backstory. He was living in an um, in a apartment with a roommate, a veteran. He's a veteran, this other guy's a veteran, they, they were sharing apartments. And he just wasn't in the health condition that he should be in to live on his own. And so I had to sit him down and make, and discuss with him. Hey, dad, I, th- I think you need to go back in the facility. Well, he just had come out of one a month ago and he hated it. And he didn't want to lose his freedom. He didn't want to, um, he, you know, it, it was, it was radical. He fought me on this. He's all, no, I'm not going into a facility. Well, somehow the Lord, I said, okay, dad, we'll just figure it out. And I had a ton of people praying, pray that my dad just receives the care that he needs. And so we're praying, and finally my dad just goes, all right, I'll, I'll go into the facility, but under one condition. What's that, Dad? That um, you take me for an outing once a week. I go, well, Dad, I, <laughs> I can't do once a week. How about every 10 days? Okay, fine, every 10 days. Where, where's the outing you want to go to? I want to go to the Chumash Indian Casino. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dad, I'll take you to the wherever you want to go. I I didn't I didn't care where he wanted to go because I knew once I got him into this facility he would get the care that he needed. And so he calls me this morning and he says, Thank you. The the facility's great. They're feeding me well. They're taking good care of me. And then he said something very strange. And it's not strange, it's normal. I know that my dad has always loved me, but he never really he never really said it a lot, but he said it today. And I'm on the phone and he says, hey, Brad, I, I, I love you. And my wife was there and, and I just started bawling and crying. I'm like, you know, and I thought to myself, I go, Lord, is my dad saying goodbye? You know, I just, in my spirit, I've sat at the bedside of, many who were dying and, and I usually, and I usually walk out and the God gives me an impression. No, they're going to keep going, keep fighting or no, they're going to die. I usually have that suspicion. I just, this morning I felt like, Oh, he's going to be with the Lord soon. I don't know if it'll be tonight or tomorrow, but I just started weeping and I'm like, Lord, are you just, are you uh, through my dad trying to tell me that he loves me, and, and it, it just hit me, and my wife gave me a big hug and helped me through that. And, but um, but I, I felt he was content. I felt that he kind of landed. And, and, and here's, here's a lesson for us. Um, we are truly free from fear when we are content and knowing that my shepherd Jesus has already dealt with so many things. 
So I just pray for my dad, please, if you would. Number three, Jesus, our faithful shepherd who provides rest, protection, and the word of God to graze upon daily. You know how important the word of God is? It is so important. I love this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. That book that I read, uh, the Philip Keller book, a, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, writes that sheep do not lay down easily and will not unless four conditions are met. Okay? And these are the four conditions. Number one, because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are fearful. Number two, because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. Number three, if flies or fleas and or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. Number four, finally, if sheep are anxious about food or famine, they will not lay down. This is, this is an interesting thing. I'm learning a lot about sheep as I'm going through this study. It's amazing. Number one, fear. The green pastures are amazing as they are loaded with dangers. So we think of a green pasture, but they are loaded with dangers. Think about a sheep where you have a predator lying down, lying in the grass and wait for that sheep. So even know that the green pasture or that place of rest might be a place of danger, but when they see their shepherd, they're, they're satisfied. The fear just goes away. There's something about sheep when they see their shepherd. They, they will lie down eventually, but they're timid creatures. Even if like a little jackrabbit runs they're going to stampede. They're going to get out of there. They're going to flee. But check this out. When the shepherd is near, there is no fear. Amen? When the shepherd is near, there is no fear. Remember Peter? Who likes Pete? I like Pete. Pete the apostle? Love Peter. Just a crazy guy. Um, he decides one day... He's on boat with his friends. He's go, you know what? I think I see Jesus out there. I'm going to step out of the boat and go to him. And what does Jesus do? Come on, Pete, get out of the boat, right? Full of faith. Um, soon as he gets out of the boat, he st- takes his first couple steps and he's like, whoa, I'm on water. And what does he do? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he stares at the circumstances that are in front of him, right? And then what does he do? He gazes back up at Jesus and he says these wonderful words, Lord, help me. And God comes and rescues him because let's say it together. When the shepherd is near, there is no fear. Say it. When the shepherd is near, there is no fear. All right, amen? So, Jesus, so Pete's looking at his shepherd and going, hey, it's going to be okay. He's here. And I love that. Truth for us. We can be in paradise. We can be in the greatest pastures. And if, we, if our souls are unguarded, we drift from his word. The enemy is right there to pounce on us. 
just like those creepy lions and, and coyotes. I, myself, I need to be in God's word daily or I will not survive. Between my flesh, the enemy, and the world, I'm outnumbered. Amen? Are you? We're outnumbered. We just are. As I stay connected to Jesus by feasting on his word, my soul is protected. David said this in Psalm 119.11. He said, your word, Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? He has hidden his word in our hearts so that we don't sin against him. And that's what grazing on the word of God does. If I, can, if I have um, a fear and I have God's word, I'm not going to fall prey to the enemy. I'm not going to sin. Because what, you know what sin is? Sin is fear. We sin when we're fearful. It happens all the time. Number two. Friction. Sheep have what's called a, a budding order. You guys ever heard that? Tom knows this because he's been in the chicken business. There's a pecking order, right, Tom? The pecking order of chickens. And in the animal kingdom, you have these domineering, arrogant, manipulative, cunning animals in the kingdom. There's some that are just that. There's these domineering guy, and then there's the timid you know, animals. And um, even, in, even amongst the sheep, they have domineering sheep, and then they have really timid sheep. And what's going to happen in the budding order, so what they do, and they, the reason they call it the budding order because they butt heads. So if a sheep is grazing over here, and you have another sheep that wants to graze in that area, and he's the domineering sheep, he's going to butt that other sheep out of the way. Okay, so that causes friction, that causes stress in the sheep. And a sheep will not lie down if there's these social pressures. I had um, just a bully story I'm going to share out of, I think I was in fifth grade. And there was this kid by the name of Les Mize. He was a big kid, strong kid. Um, I was big too, you know, we were both big. And then he decided because... He was going to be the budding guy that he would pick on my friend Wayne, which was another big kid. So we got these three big kids. And so Les wants to be the, the big kid. And he starts picking on Wayne. And, um, and I just said, hey, man, stop picking on Wayne. He's, he's part of our tribe. He's our friend. You know, we had this friend group. But Les ignored me, and he just kept picking on him, picking on him, and they started pushing him and shoving it, and then they started, they were ready, it was ready to throw down, or there's a brawl. And so I just grab Les, and I pull him off Wayne, and all of a sudden, he starts throwing blows at me. And I'm like, whoa, okay, hey, buddy. And so, and he wouldn't stop. So, you know, I said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to lose in this one. And so I pinned him down, and I just, I just started punching and didn't stop. You know, It was the only time I ever got in a fight, and it was the last time I got in a fight. You know, I'm not proud of it, but what it did, 
my presence, even though it was wrong, helped my friend out, Wayne. So Wayne didn't get the beating. Les got the beating. We both went to to uh, the principal's office, and that back in those days, you had to write a hundred times what you did wrong. Right? You guys remember that? Some of you, right? You write that down. That your sin. You'd write it down. And um, and you know, and my mom, and my mom was just a good lady. She she kind of gave me some principles when I went to school. She said. I want you to do two things when you go to school. I want you to look for the kid that's lonely and look out for the kid that's being picked on. So I did that. I did what my mom said and um, had to pay for it. But then me and Les became friends. Our friend group came back together. We shook hands. We hugged and played sports together. So it was fine. But it was my first fight and my last fight ever. I've never gotten a fight since then. And so I, I praise God for that. The, the Apostle Paul gave some, and, and some amazing advice to a young pastor, Timothy. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Isn't that amazing? So Timothy faced some bullies in ministry. And there are bullies in ministry. You're going to face that. Some of the guys that, um, you know, that work here at Cat, we, we know... There, there are people like that. Um, Paul calls them out in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. I mean, there were some guys in there, and Timothy's a young pastor, and he's having to deal with these guys who are spreading cancer in the church. And Paul reminds young Timothy, he says, the spirit of God is in you, Timothy, with power and his love, and has given you clarity of mind. And this is a beautiful lesson, I think, for all of us, is that the shepherd is with, within us. It's within Timothy. We have the great shepherd. So there's no need to rebut. There's no need to seek harm. There's no need to be bitter towards them or anyone. There's no need for anger or fighting or having your rights, or having your way. There's no room for that in ministry or in anything, in a family, in a business. There's just no room for that. Quiet contentment is where the good shepherd is leading us. Quiet contentment is where the good shepherd is always leading us and will lead us. The children of God are not ones to live in strife, conflict and at war with those around us, especially loved ones. As Peter says to the household of God, we hear, see that in first Peter chapter two, Ephesians four says this. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. A sheep cannot lie down if it's in strife, if it's in, we can't lie down if we're in strife. We're just unsettled. And as Christians, that we need to be the ones that um, have no friction in our lives, that we're not the ones that are causing friction either. We need to be ones that are setting the bar high, that we're following our shepherd. 
Number three is flies. Sheep can't rest if there's flies or parasites, ticks are on their fleece. The shepherd has to labor and toil to relieve this. Unlike other animals who have hind legs to take care of, you ever see a dog and, and a cat, they have hind legs, they can take care of fleas and ticks and you know, they can bite them off, but a sheep can't do that. A sheep is this big woolly body and he's got these tiny little feet. The feet, they, the feet can't scratch its own body. I mean, have you ever seen a sheep? They're just really kind of helpless. And they're, yeah, they, they, do, they can barely move. It takes, the, it, it, it take, the sheep needs the attention of a shepherd. It really does to attend and care for them. Um, we too are distracted creatures. I would say the cares of our lives just the way, I mean, just distractions just plague us, right? Trent's shaking his head, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm with it. And Jesus even said this in the parable of the four soils. He says, you know, when, when you read the word of God, you're going to be distracted. That word may fall on the thorny soil. It may fall on that soil that is, that is, it's going to choke out the word of God with weeds and thorns. And so that's something that um, we as believers need to be aware of. Um, We have, I have nagging worries. Um, As I said in the last time I preached a couple weeks back, I said, there's worries and anxieties. And what do they do? They multiply, right? They multiply. You have one worry, one anxiety, and it multiplies. It creates, baby, it creates the anxiety party that I spoke about, that people are constantly, yeah, it's, it's amazing how worry will, will set you on this path. And what did I say? Go, so what we're going to do is go quickly to our shepherd. How? By prayer, right? By prayer. We pray away these nagging things. Oh, I couldn't believe what happened this morning. I was literally writing this sermon out in this little section when we were talking about worries and, and flies and nagging things. And I get a phone call. Stupid me. I have my phone next to my computer. I get a phone call and I get this answering machine. Right, honey? Is the answering machine saying, hey, you have outstanding IRS bills if you don't call us within 24 hours, we're going to come to your house and arrest you. What? I'm like, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to call right away. I'm going to deal with this. Total scam, right? Total scam. I put down. And so they, they wanted $890. If I pay him $890, I'm talking to the guy and my wife's waving at me, honey, it's a scam. I saw it on Facebook. She's like, and then I put it on speaker and, and my wife gets on. She's all, you're a scam. She's like, and the guy, and I go, and the guy just hung up, click, right? A little nagging irritant. We get those in life. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's perfect for this sermon. Cause I'm like writing it out and it's happening as, you know, we're looking at it. You know, and even like text and emails, computer pop out. You ever get on your computer and the little pop-up ads come up? And, you know, mine has this little, these little video ads. And I'm like, how do you turn, turn that down? And, and, um, but if you have that, just go see Dave Plumley. He'll take care of you. 
Yeah, amen. We need to seek the good shepherd from rest, from distractions in prayer and devotion. In John 15, Jesus has this wonderful um, just promise. He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And there's a way that Jesus just calls us into that space of abiding. He says, I am the vine and you are the branch. You know, you heard that right in John 15. And the branch really can't do anything by itself, right? But with me, if you abide in me, it'll bear fruit, right? A branch doesn't bear fruit. It's the vine that bears the fruit. And so, you know, just, just being like when we come across distractions and devote, I just, I just want to encourage you, just go to Jesus and let, he will bring clarity, bring sound mind and love to all that and just go, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I haven't called you into a ministry of distraction, but I've called you into a ministry uh, with me. And so the last one is famine. So sheep, when they're hungry and they're famished, they get anxious. They are anxious people. And um, they become feeble and weak when they're famished. They can't even move. They, they get stuck behind the pack. So if they're hurting, you know, the shepherd's taking the herd and, the, and, and all the weak ones are left behind and they get left because they have not, they're malnourished, you know? All the arrogant ones are up in the front, the ones that were budding, you know, and, and they're right behind the shepherd. And, and what will happen is that they will be unprotected. They'll be prey. And so... Um, I love this passage. It's Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So Paul's rebuking them here. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. So Paul just called him an infant, called him a big baby. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We need, especially in this day, to discern good and evil. Man, I've, it, was, it was so radical working the campaign with Rob uh, when, he was, when we were going for the, the assembly you could see good and evil. It was like really, there were like clear lines. It was radical, right, Tom? It was, it was things that I had never seen before until we stepped into that arena to see. And it took the word of God to navigate that. I love our pastor because he would, he would never bow to the norm of campaigning like, especially when it came to um, slandering a name of his, his opponent. He, it was just, it was a solid campaign of just of righteousness and of, and, and it, it, there was a discerning line. Hey, we're not going to cross that line of evil. And it was amazing. And the reason he was being persecuted because he was a righteous man. He's a godly man. And, and, and I never experienced anything like that. Here's an interesting um, 
fact, when Bibles and prayers were taken out of schools, guess what we did? We just shoved them into the jails. That's what we did. When we took, when we took Bibles and prayer out of school, we simply shoved them into jails. In California, during that season, they built 22 jails and one college. That is a tragedy, right? That should never be so. We are totally experiencing the reaping and sowing of, of our culture in that. Yes, Tom. Really? Wow. And that really made me, you know, from the spiritual Sure, yeah. They're following evil. <laughs> and you know, and so to so like what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we have to be have the word of God to discern. We need to have solid food. We cannot just be snacking spiritually. We cannot be fasting on the word of God. We need to be eating solid, solid food. And that's why our culture has gone in the direction it's gone. You know? So if we're called to the bean patch, if we're called to the mission of transformation in the culture, we need to be biblically literate. And that's why I love that our church has taken that on this year. Biblical literacy is what, it's what founded this country, right? Amen. It's what sustained this country and it's what will propel it into the future. So what we're doing is important. What we're doing is solid, but we, you need a good shepherd to follow. Amen? Amen. I like this. Jesus, our faithful shepherd who provides rest, protection, and the word of God to graze upon daily. He makes us lay down in green pastures. In green pastures. Ezekiel 34, 14 says this, I will feed them in a good pasture. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. That's God's heart for us. See that? He wrote that 22 years into a nation in bondage and captivity. And this was the promise that was given. Even though that the Assyrians took them into captivity for 70 years, Ezekiel was prophesying this saying, Hey, even though I've taken you out of your land, I'm going to put you back into your land and I'm going to give you good pastures to, to dwell upon and to, to graze upon. He's a faithful God. He, his promises are true. Jeremiah three fifteen says this, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Amen. We have good shepherds here at Godspeed Coverage. Our pastor is a good shepherd. 
He feeds us well. God uses shepherds, I should say under shepherds, to, to bless his people, to bless his church. The spirit of God that flows through our souls, it's his shalom and peace. Isn't that nice? Jesus, Jesus was the one who, when the disciples were in a raging storm, what was Jesus doing? He was on the boat, what? Sleeping, Sleeping right? He had, he had the, the shalom living in him. And so what did they do? They called, hey, Jesus, we're about to die. Don't you care? And he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And what did he do to the winds and waves? He said, peace, be still, right? In our lives, he guides us to those areas. He does. He guides us to those areas where we need him to say, be still and know that I am God. That was a great, I think, lesson in that storm where Jesus told them, hey, be peace and know that I am God. I am here for you. God's word is there for us. For food, for the soul, it fuels our faith and removes fear. Isn't that beautiful? Removes fear. Number four, Jesus, our faithful shepherd, leads us into a spirit-filled life. I love this. John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John 7, 37, on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that cool how that works? That we come, that we come, if anyone thirsts, that we come to drink from that still water, which is Jesus. And what does he do? He does a miracle out of, it says in some scriptures, torrents of living water will come out of us. And he's speaking of, of the spirit, concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a beautiful promise. I love that. I love that. Our faithful Jesus provides for soul restoration. He restores my soul, the psalmist says. Psalm 42, um, 11 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And I never understood that until I read this book. It was interesting. And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. David knew of this term of cast down or downcast. So what happened with a downcast um, sheep is that, especially the, the lost sheep, remember in, um, in, I think it was Matthew, where Jesus talks about this man who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one, 
Well, that was a downcast sheep. It's a, it's a sheep that, you know, because he's got those four little legs. And if that sheep flips on his back and eventually on his hind back, he cannot get up. He is totally stuck. And so a good shepherd knows the number of his sheep. He knows where his sheep is. And that little ooh lamb is sitting there helpless. Any predator, any lion, anyone can come and pick that sheep. So the, so the shepherd knows how desperate this situation is. And that's why David, as a shepherd, knows this. He knows about cast down sheep. That they're, and also what happens with a cast down sheep, and when they're on their back, their stomach gases begin to intrude into other areas of their body and will eventually kill that sheep. So part of the shepherd's responsibility is to restore that sheep back to its original stance, which is on his four legs. And if you don't get to that sheep early enough, it's, it's, um, it's deadly. And so that's why sheep need so much care. Um, and it's funny how the Lord calls us sheep and watches. He does. He calls us sheep because, because we do dumb things. It's true. Have you ever like, have you ever said something or done something? You're just like, that was dumb. Why did that come out of my mouth? Or why did I do that? It's kind of that Romans seven thing that Paul is saying is like, why do I do those things I'm not supposed to do? And why don't I do the things I'm supposed to do? Right. You, this internal argument, because we're dumb. We just, we repeat our sin over and over. Like a dog goes back to his vomit there's something in us. And God saw that. He doesn't, and that's not like a, you know, a slam on us. I think he just, he sees the, the comparison, the, the re- relevance of, of dumb sheep. And anyways, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's a wonderful shepherd's heart right there. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that. And as we, this is our last point, we're going to close on this one. Our fearless shepherd leads us down paths of righteousness, righteousness to live for his glory. He leads me in paths of righteousness and this is the important thing, for his namesake. Remember I said that, that this passage is more about the shepherd than it is about the sheep. And I, I love that about that. After any trauma or trial or tribulation, after soul restoration has happened, you know, after God has flipped us back on our feet, so to speak, uh, we need to get back on course. We need to take those steps that God has for us. Do you remember when Paul in Acts 9 went to the road to Damascus and he was blown off his horse? You know, and he said, Lord, and he finally recognized that, that it was Jesus, his Lord. And I, I love that because Paul gets taken off his horse and then he gets 
onto this path. And, and I love what Jesus did. Jesus rescued Paul in that scenario. He restored Paul to, to, to himself. And then he released Paul for mission. He sent Paul on mission. And Paul planted many churches and did a great work. We read this, right? We read this in the book of Acts of all the great things Paul does. He goes from Christian killer to planting churches. It's radical. It's wild. And that's what what a, a good shepherd does. He leads us on those paths of righteousness. He leads us to those places that where we need to be. He gets us into right living so that our king, our Lord, will be glorified. That is the end goal, is that we glorify our Lord through, that, through our mission. You know, I love, I love those stories of, of guys that have been in ministry um, that have, were drug dealers and, you know, out of prison and jail, and then they come, to the Lord, they get this radical conversion and they're on fire for him because their shepherd did some soul restoration and put them back on the path. It's important that we stay on the path. If you're off the path tonight, you need to come to your shepherd and get back on the path. I did that for 10 years. I was off the path. It was a dark time, but God, the good shepherd, goes after that one, brings him back in to the 99. And he'll do that for you. I'm going to close with this psalm, Psalm 1610. I love this psalm. For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that beautiful?